The reading is taken from Isaiah 53. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds, we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before his shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was his punishment. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was that the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. <clears throat> and though the Lord makes his life an offering of sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Jan, for reading uh, Isaiah 53 to us. Uh, and we're starting a new series today that's going to take us through Advent. And before I start to talk about the new series, you might just be asking the question, well, what is Advent then? Well, Advent is a period in the church calendar of preparation. It's a period of looking forward with anticipation. We are preparing in Advent, we are preparing for Christmas, remembering when Christ came to earth as a tiny baby. But actually, it points beyond his first coming, because actually Advent is when we remember 
but we also look forward with anticipation to Christ the Messiah's second coming, when he comes again in glory, to when the promise of God's plan of redemption and salvation is fully realized in Jesus' return. That's a pretty amazing thing, isn't it, to be looking forward to, to be anticipating. And our new series is going to help us to grasp hold of this more fully, I hope. I've entitled this series, The Messiah in Isaiah. And then let me explain a little bit more about what that means. See, looking forward to something uh, or anticipation, it's, a, it's an amazing human emotion, anticipation. We, as a family, we've just recently bought uh, a new caravan. Well, it's new to us anyway. And, uh, and I know it sounds quite sad, but we love caravanning. We love our caravan holidays. They're really special times for us. And after initially putting down a deposit on this new van, it was a long week waiting till we could go and pick it up. But it was a week filled with anticipation, for me anyway, and excitement. Making plans, making arrangements, sorting out the insurance, all those things that you have to do. And during that week, I read everything that I could read about the new van that we'd just bought. I watched reviews, I watched uh, YouTube videos. And then the night before we picked it up, I'm a big kid really, I couldn't sleep. I was so excited uh, and looking forward to going to pick up the new caravan. But what helped to build my excitement was that people had already written about it and they'd shared their experiences about it. And I could watch, and I could read, and I could look forward to actually getting hold of it myself. Now, a caravan is a pretty basic thing to be getting excited about, isn't it? In fact, I'm sure some of you are thinking, Ugh. but when we're talking about something like the savior of the world coming into existence, God's rescue plan taking shape, the Messiah being born, well, that's on a different level of excitement, isn't it? That's something else altogether. And the thing is, people wrote about it before the event actually happened. And these are the people that we know uh, as the prophets. And the prophets were used by God to foretell about things to come. And littered through the Old Testament are references to God's plan of redemption through his son, Jesus and how that plan would actually unfold and come into being, from his birth to his death and his resurrection. In fact, Jesus fulfilled 351 prophecies on one day. There are 16 prophets uh, named, and there are 17 books filled of their visions, and they're found in the Old Testament. There are 12 minor prophets, and there are four major prophets, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Daniel, and Isaiah. Isaiah's prophecies are tremendous visions of God. And there's actually nothing to equal these prophecies, not until we come to the very end of the Bible and we read uh, the book of Revelation, John's vision in the book of Revelation. And in this, in this text that we've just had read to us, there are numerous passages uh, in Isaiah, sorry, that point to Christ. And, uh, and let's not forget that these were written eight centuries before Jesus was actually born, 800 years before Jesus was born. The prophet Isaiah is writing these texts, prophesying of this happening. So let's take a look at perhaps the most 
famous of all of those texts, which Jan's just read to us, Isaiah 53. If you've got a Bible, you might want to have that open at home as I go through and have a look. Um, If not, maybe watch again later and pick up a Bible and have a look then. So in this chapter that we've just had read to us, we have Isaiah speaking about the sufferings of God's chosen servant and the glory that will follow. And as we read through this chapter uh, with our new, don't forget, we are people of the New Testament. So we've got our New Testament eyes on and, uh, and we're able to actually realize that as we read this text, it's actually talking about Jesus's life, death and resurrection. And we can't help but see the unsearchable riches of Jesus Christ in this chapter, who we now recognize as the suffering servant written about 800 years before. And so we can split this chapter into four sections. And the first section is verses one to three. And it talks about how God's servant will be rejected by his own people and by mankind. And we know that Jesus most definitely was rejected by his own people. And we see how God's suffering servant will actually come in humility and lowliness, or as verse 2 puts it, a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. And we know Jesus was born into this. He was born into poverty. He wasn't born into greatness, into splendor and power as the Jews had come to expect of the Messiah. He wasn't a king or powerful in human terms, born into riches and beauty, but he was born into poverty and loneliness. The second part is verses four to six, and here we see how God's servant must suffer, and this is an amazing exchange that takes place through this suffering. It's the most amazing section of Scripture which tells us, and I'm going to keep saying this, 800 years before it happened about Christ's torture and his death and what that means for you and for me. Verse 4, he carried our transgressions, our sins, our sorrows. He took them all upon himself. Only he was good enough to do that. Sinless, pure, and spotless. And so he was the only one able to be good enough to qualify as a sin offering. See, for any Jew who wanted to make an atoning sacrifice, they would have to pay good money for the very best, pure, spotless animal that they could sacrifice to God. Only Jesus was pure and spotless. Verse 5 goes on to say that he was pierced for our transgressions, punished for them, even though they weren't his own. Think about the horrific scourging that Jesus underwent. Think about Jesus being nailed to the cross by his hands and his feet and the spear that went into his side, pierced for our transgressions. Here it is, as it was foretold. And then come these amazing words. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. Isn't that amazing? And here's this this exchange that I was talking about. Our atonement 
our forgiveness, our salvation. It's only by his wounds that we are accepted and that we are healed. Well, why do we need it? Why do we need this? Verse 6 goes on to tell us that we all, like sheep, have gone astray. We've all gone our own way. We've, we've, we've distanced ourselves from God. We've turned from the Lord. And yet the Lord takes that out on him, not on us. The rejection is placed upon him and turned onto him. The third part of this amazing chapter is at verses 7 to 9. And here the verses clearly evoke the trial of Jesus and the crucifixion. Verse 7, he was oppressed and afflicted, and yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. As we read uh, the gospel text, we know that during the whole of Jesus' trial and persecution, he never once opened his mouth to plead his innocence or to say that he was innocent of any crime. He freely offered himself. He could have evaded the cross with a click of a finger. At any point, he could have stopped it. At any point, he could have used his wisdom and his power to resist arrest and execution. But he didn't. He allowed that to happen. Verse 9, he was assigned a grave with the wicked. And as we know, Jesus was crucified with two robbers, one on the left and one on the right. And the fact that he was placed in the middle suggests that he was worse than either of those. And then verse 9 continues, and with the rich in his death, it says. When Jesus was taken down from the cross, he was put in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea, who was a rich man. So again, here you see this, this verse being fulfilled. And the fourth and the final section of this chapter is verses 10 to 12. And here we read about the glory and honor that is to come. And as we read, it's clear that it's God and his servant, Jesus, that will allow this sacrifice to take place. It's the Lord's will that it happened. Verse 10, yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and to cause him to suffer. And yet it clearly points towards the resurrection after the suffering and to redemption and to justification. Verse 11, after the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many. Pointing towards the promise of life eternal in him for each of us. And as we read this amazing chapter, we must not forget, as I've mentioned numerous times, that it was a prophecy written 800 years before Jesus was born. And yet it's so clear that the prophet Isaiah is foretelling the manner in which the Messiah, Jesus, would come and fulfill God's plan of atonement and salvation. It's remarkable, isn't it? That even after reading this chapter alone, and there's multiple chapters we could read in the Bible, but this chapter alone to me is just so, so amazing. That even after reading this, still today, there are people who would argue that Jesus is not the Messiah, that this is not the case. It's as if their eyes are closed to the truth. But we shouldn't be surprised by that, should we? Because the first three verses tell us that people will reject him that people will turn from him. 
there will always be people who do that. And for those of us who do believe, those of us who've had our eyes opened, well, our role is a simple one. We need to live as people with the hope of Advent in our hearts, in the knowledge that the Messiah has come and he has fulfilled these prophecies that were written about him. But the story isn't finished because he promised to come again. And this time, when he comes, he'll come in all his glory, in all his majesty, with all authority. And we read that every eye will see and every knee will bend and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now that's going to be some event, isn't it? Far better than getting a new caravan. In the meantime, we are to live in the anticipation and excitement and the hope of his return. So as we prepare for Advent in the next week or so, let's look at things differently this year. It's been a really difficult year for everyone. 2020 has been a year that we probably want to forget, really. But actually, let's begin to look at things with the hope of Advent in our hearts. Let's be a people of expectant hope, a people of confidence, and let's continue to look for signs of him all around us. I think as we go into the next few weeks, it's going to be exciting as we continue to find the Messiah in Isaiah. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for Scripture. We thank you, Lord, for the depth of wisdom that we can find in Scripture. We thank you that it speaks to us. We thank you for the words of Isaiah written so long ago, foretelling the birth of Jesus, his life, his death, and his resurrection. And as we prepare for Advent, Lord, we hold on to the hope that is found in you. And we pray, Lord, that we would be a people of hope, filled with anticipation, filled with excitement of all that is to come. And these things we ask in Jesus' mighty and victorious name. Amen.